The scripture reading for today's message comes from the first chapter of Luke, verses 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus, he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Maybe see. Jordan. Just a, a word about the friendly Sunday school class. Uh, it seems a little bit hard to believe, but that um, we'll be celebrating our 11th Christmas here, here in Heber. That, that's how long that, uh, that we've been here. Uh, the friendly Sunday school class from the first day that I arrived um, at this church, welcoming, loving. Now, this is a Sunday school class that had over 100 in it at one time. I don't know where they met. don't know how they did that. But I've heard that. And maybe the older they get, you know, it's sort of like me playing ball. The older I get, the better I was. But, but I don't know. I heard that there was over 100 in that Sunday school class. Is that correct? But in our... And just our time here, and I'm not saying all out of the Sunday, uh, friendly Sunday school class, but that Sunday school class was always, always for what the church wanted to do. Every single time. I cannot remember one time going to that Sunday school class that they weren't willing uh, to do whatever it took for the, for the betterment of, uh, of this church. And I, I thank God for them. Many of them uh, have gone home to be with the Lord. Many of them have moved to, with their adult uh, kids, you know, and, and moved. Uh, but I know in my 11 years here that there's been over 170 lives that we've celebrated uh, out, of, out of the first and third services uh, in this church. And so uh, I just want also to say uh, thanks uh, to the friendly Sunday school class. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for these, your people. Thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. We pray as your word is proclaimed that I get out of your way so that your people can hear a word from you. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
I am sure uh, your life, if it's anything like mine, have thought many times in our lives, what in the world is going on? What more uh, could happen a, a time maybe when we didn't have uh, a lot of hope? I remember in 1965 that, that we were about ready uh, to start picking cotton. Had a good cotton crop that year, Daddy did. I was 10 or 11 years old. And um, I can remember there was a hurricane in, in the Caribbean, hit the mouth of the Mississippi, and came up the Mississippi. We never took a cotton picker to the field that fall. Completely wiped out the crops there, there uh, um, in, in northeast Arkansas, and not just northeast Arkansas, but a lot of Miss, uh, Mississippi and all up and down that river. I can remember Daddy uh, talking about um, everything being lost and, and sort of how hopeless and all that it was, but, but him still saying, hey, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get through this. Uh, those of you that remember 1980, 1980 and how hot that it was, and it never did rain. You remember that? 106, 112, 111. Never did rain in 1980. And so if you didn't have irrigation, guess what that fall you didn't do? Now remember, now this time I'm farming for myself. And if you didn't have irrigation, guess what we didn't do that fall? They stayed in the tool shed. There was nothing to harvest. You talking about hopeless, hopelessness. Hey, and our bankers were too. But anyway, I can remember how hopeless things seemed. The PL 480 program that our government, and by the way, uh, I know that y'all know this, but, but we feed the world. Y'all know that, don't you? We, we feed the entire world. PL 480 program is a program, government program, that sends soybeans and, and rice and corn all over the world, regardless of where it is. We have had barges, barges of grain in many, many ports in Africa with kids starving to death. And it sat right there and ruined. That, that can take some of this hope that we have away from us if we're not careful. Then today in the church, I, I have stopped reading about what's going to go on at General Conference. Um, there, there's so many uh, plans for this uh, human sexuality thing and what the church is splitting over and, and, uh, and, and all that. We have been battling this since 1972. Wears us out. It takes way too much energy to focus on all that stuff. So I've quit reading. Hey, you know, uh, do the best we can to elect delegates and send and let them sort of out because it seems hopeless. In a church the size of the United Methodist Church, with a church that is global, sometimes it just seems hopeless. We think, Lord, what are we doing as your people, as your disciples, as people that love you and care for one another? How can we be at, at such opposite ends of the spectrum? Y'all saw it in St. Louis last year. You'll see it in May in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And yet, here you are. Here you are. Christ the King Sunday. 
A time that we start a new church year. With all the tension in the world, and even in the church, here you are, November the 24th, 2019, here to worship the Lord. Here's why. No matter what may be going on in our lives, and let me, let me just sidebar real quick. You've heard me say that everyone here has had a broken heart. I, I, I know that. I know what that's like. But regardless of what's going on in our lives, regardless if it's financial, if it's with our kids, if it's a physical ailment, and some of us have those, and, and, and it's a scary thing. But even knowing all the things that we know, doing the very best that we can, I can tell you why you're here today. You have hope. You have hope because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You have hope because Jesus says, regardless of what the world does, regardless of what the world does, don't, don't be afraid. Don't fear, for I have overcome the world. That's why we're here. If you didn't have hope, why, what's the, the use in even being here? We have hope today that our children will be taught to learn more about Jesus. And when I say Jesus, I mean God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That they would learn about Jesus. We have hope that that's taking place in this church right now. We have hope that we might be the person that reaches out to a youth to where they understand that we love them unconditional. I'm not saying that we agree with what they're doing if, they're ha if they have bad habits and making bad choices. I'm not saying that and that we don't need to jerk a knot in their backside. Or, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying that because we do. We do. But at the same time, we have hope because Christ is king. Christ is king. And in the, the scriptures that, that Arden have read to us this morning, we're, we're here and we're here to worship. The birth of John the Baptist it puts a different spin on, on the birth of John the Baptist puts a different spin on, on Jesus, on his birth. We get to see the birth and life of Jesus through the eyes of his relatives. For they were going through the same odd happenings. Y'all remember Zechariah and Elizabeth? Elizabeth was an old woman, barren. Zechariah was a priest. They didn't have any kids. Then all of a sudden... He's visited in the temple. Hey, guess what, bud? You're going to have a baby boy. Yeah, right. You, you know. Well, sure enough, sure enough that happened. But anyway, they were the proud parents of John, who later would be called the Baptist. New parents were allowed to see into the future and understand that there was, that there was hope, a great hope coming in the world. Zechariah's song that Arden read to us this morning reminds us of that backdrop. Of all, of all of this hope, 
in perilous times. The world that John the Baptist, that Jesus was born into, was full of chaos and was sinking in sin. It doesn't help us much that that we're so familiar with the events of the Christmas story. Our familiarity is both a blessing and a burden. It's a blessing that we know about the historical event that took place over 2,000 years ago. And we appreciate that because Jesus came into the world to pay a debt that you and I can't pay. It's a lovely story that we never tire of hearing. But that's also our failing. I'm not going to borrow from that tired old adage that familiarity breeds contempt, but I will say that our familiarity with the story has made us lose its reality and drama. Here's what I mean. We have taken the story of the Christ child, held it before us, and said, oh, isn't this beautiful? We've coddled and sentimentalized the story. When we read the story, we're often, we're too often projected into a world that was rosier, if that's a word, rosier than than ours where miracles were still possible with God and where God was more active and hope made more sense and evil was stoppable and reality wasn't quite so harsh. That's the problem that we have. The Christmas story sometimes creates a a little feeling of sort of like the, the Wizard of Oz. When Dorothy and her dog Toto had been swept away uh, by a tornado, ended up in the land of Oz. You'll, you'll recall Dorothy looked, at a, looked around at her mother goose surroundings, the little munchkins and the good fairy and the yellow brick road. And she turns to her dog and says, what has to be the understatement down through the years? Toto, I have a feeling that we're no longer in Kansas. You know, perhaps, perhaps that's the way it is for us. Perhaps. That's the way it is for us. Mentally, at this time of year, we put ourselves in the land of Christmas. The days of Caesar Augustus, Herod the king, angels, Quirinius of Syria, romantic astrologers, idealistic shepherds. We we put them all in a nice, noble place that you and I can annually go visit. In doing so, we don't see much resemblance between the kind of world that John, that Jesus was born into in our 21st century world and what we have to contend with each and every day. The fact is that with just a little bit of study and doing a little bit of background and looking what was going on, that we discover how similar their world and our world really was. The Bible sets the story the first time for, or, uh, at the time of the first tax registration. 
in the final days of Herod the king. Miserable, miserable years, friends. Herod was fast losing his grip. His grip on his work, his health, his sanity, and increasingly on Judea. This was pulling him out of favor with his superior, Caesar Augustus. This bode ill for Israel. Without question, there was Roman soldiers in their midst every day. Think about that. Where you live, where you work, where your kids play. Soldiers there every single day. You see, when things were going well, Caesar Augustus, he didn't care what you did. He didn't care what you believed. He didn't care who you were, how much money you had or anything else. When things were going well, he left things alone. However, however, when problems developed, he come down hard and he came down with a hammer. The hammer this time was the, was the tax and the tax registration. It was no longer business as usual. This was a frightening first. And the Jews, both economically and religiously, they hated it. They hated it. Here was another nation running their country, being taxed. It was a tough, tough world. Herod was nuts that John and Jesus both were born into. There was bound to be disruption, political unrest. And perhaps, perhaps, as you read and you study about this, the most depressing thing of all, that there was no one waiting in the wings to take Herod's place that was any better than what he was. They were all sorry. There wasn't a decent one in the crowd. They were crooks. So there was bound to be trouble. In short, the story takes place in a time when it was difficult to be optimistic. Israel was facing national instability, a shrinking standard of living, infringement on personal freedoms, a rise in radical groups, with a very uncertain future. It was anything but a never-never land of trust and devotion. Recognizing the time and the distance that separates us from the Christmas story might not be as far as what we think. As what we think as to where we live. For if we miss the realism of the Christmas story, if we're never able to take it out of context of a nursery story, then how can the living Lord ever get through to us? For what the story is really saying to us, that this happened in the midst of poverty, of misery, of injustice. 
with pessimistic attitudes. They found that hard to believe back in Herod's day that there was much hope. And I wonder where we stand today. I wonder on this Christ the King Sunday, the hope that we have in our hearts. Is it laid up in our government? Is it laid up in someone else? Or do we have the hope enough to realize that no matter what is going on in our lives, that Jesus is still the king? Jeremiah, not the bullfrog, the prophet. The prophet. I can't help it. I know I'm corny. I know I'm corny. But anyway. The Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar, had come down, destroyed the temple, carrying them off, carrying them uh, to Babylon. And here's Jeremiah that had been mistreated. He had been let down into cisterns of dung. He had everything in the world that could happen to him had happened. And as they was burning the city, that dude bought a piece of land. Not saying he didn't get it at a good price. I'm just saying that he bought a piece of land, a piece of property. That's hope. That's hope that there's restoration. Look at Job and all of his piety, and God himself said, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on the earth like him. He did everything right. Everything. He even went to his kid's house after they partied for a week or two and prayed for some of them may have sinned. I promise you they did. But, but, but anyway, anyway, look at what he went through. He lost it all. Lost everything. Lost everything. Tried to get God to come battle it out with him. Of course, y'all know how the story ends. There is hope. There is hope. Many people back in Jesus' day were too busy to hear the cry of a little baby. And when I say too busy, I'm I'm not talking about necessarily at work. I'm talking about caught up in the busyness of life. And maybe that is work. I know I get that way. I I get caught up in in church work, and and I don't hear the cry of a little baby either. But they were were too busy listening to the the, the tramp of, of soldiers marching and haggling in the marketplace to hear a small cry of, of a baby or the choirs of angels. Everyone in this room can be pessimistic and real, realistic enough to know that things could turn quickly in our world. And things could go from improving to misery and ruin. We are so, everyone in this room, are optimistic and realistic enough to believe that things can get better. We could move from improving to robust to thriving. I know a number of people just in the short time that I have been y'all's pastor whose lives 
are so much closer to the Lord than what they used to be. We can thrive. We can thrive. That's the hope that we have in our hearts. For you see, we Christians, we are a people of hope. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was a person of hope. At the birth, he said, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way. And what was he preparing the people for? It was this. It was this. Our salvation. Our salvation. He has come to redeem his people. That was Zechariah's song. It was John's word. When, they, when Jesus was hated by many, he showed people mercy. When our enemies encircle us, his hand rescues. When our sins have condemned us, the Lord's righteousness is given to us. When fear, when fear is the watchword for our lives, he announces hope. He announces hope. You're no doubt familiar with the diary of Anne Frank. It's a portrayal of an agonizing tension of several Jews who were hiding from the Nazis in an attic. At the end of the story, the dreaded knock on the door finally comes. The SS was there in the house. They had been tipped off because they knew exactly where to go and what they were looking for. In a few seconds, as they were breaking through the door, as the axe pounds at the attic's door, Anne's father turns and says to his family, for two years, for two years, we have been living in fear. Now, we live in hope. Isn't that the way the nativity, or isn't that what the nativity story is all about? It says to us that we have been living in fear long enough. It's now time for us to live in hope. And hope is not something to be gotten around to after all the fears have been banished and disproven. No, hope is that perspective that keeps us alive and going on when we're frightened of what the future may hold for us. Hope brings us meaning in the midst of chaos and keeps us determined that even in the midst of our suffering, that there is a divine plan being fulfilled. We live in a crazy, crazy world. A world that you can turn on the news and it doesn't take long. It seems like we can lose hope pretty quick. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The hope, the salvation of the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.